Every now and then, I get referred to as a priest or someone that will call me father. Um, usually it's someone who had a Catholic upbringing and knows that I'm a pastor and it just sort of comes out. I remember one guy who was always calling me, yes, father. And I'm like, you know, uh, I'm not a priest. Um, I know I, I wore the shirt on purpose because I know it kind of looks like I'm wearing a, a, you know, that clerical thing. The truth is uh, there's, I have Lutheran friends and Episcopal friends that will wear kind of the, the black shirt with the collar. So I, you know, just thought I'd evoke that this morning. Um, I don't see myself as a priest. I generally take the, the title of pastor, um, pastor of a church. Uh, you know, I'm also a teacher or, I, you know, preacher of the gospel. I'll go with all of those. Protestants in general don't have priests. I know there, there are some denominations that still stick with that, but, but Protestants in general, we have kind of a different role of the, the leaders of the church in now, nowadays. And so today we're talking about priest, the priesthood given by God and its failure in the scriptures. And we're going to go from there to consider what does that say about religious leaders in general? And I want, we're going to think through that. And the side question we're going to hit along the way that's sort of related to our sermon topic is, why were only men priests to be priests in the Bible? So I want to start off by thinking, what does it mean to be a priest? We think of maybe the Catholic version of it, but really priests have been in religions, you know, far before Christianity got started. And in general, a priest was a mediator between God or the gods and mankind and men. It was a bridge between God and the people. And and specifically in the Jewish sense, the priest was a bridge between a holy God and sinful people. He helped make that connection. But why was that needed? Why would we need a bridge? Well, the Plain and simple answer is mankind had fallen into sin. Adam and Eve in the garden did not need a priest that God would say God would come and talk to them and walk with them in the cool of the day. They could have a direct connection, conversation with God. And so, in fact, in some ways, Adam and Eve were the priests. They were, they were there to, to, it says, to guard the, the, the Garden of Eden, which is sort of like a temple in a way. But when they failed to guard Eden from evil and instead listened to the serpent, God's enemy, and chose a different path, they allowed evil into Eden, and, and therefore they failed in the, the call that they were given. And so that's when they were evicted from Eden. But moreover, that that event, that the fall of mankind created a gap, a chasm between God and people. And so now you have a holy God and you have mankind, men and women, who are, are sinful. That, that the image of God that we were made with has been radically corrupted and there would be a brokenness within people, things would not be right within, that would lead us to act out. There'd be dysfunction in society, 
And you just see the story in the Bible, violence and threats and slavery and polygamy and oppression. The world would not operate as it was meant to, and people would be broken. So in order for God to, to reconnect, he would use need priests, someone on the other side of the chasm that could help connect the holy God to people. The first passage our worship team read expresses God, God has a plan and to, to kind of reconnect to humanity. And what does he do? He picks one particular people, the nation of Israel. He takes them out of slavery where they were in Egypt. He brings them to Mount Sinai and says, you will be my treasured possession. They would be the chosen people. But note what it says they would do. You will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What's he saying? He's saying, you will be my representatives, right? You'll be on the other side of the chasm, and you, in a sense, will be the bridge by which all nations ultimately could come to see and know me. So it wasn't just, you know, one person as a priest. It would be the whole kingdom, the the community, men and women, Children, families would act as, as a kingdom of priests. That was the kind of the plan God expressed in Exodus 19. And that's right before he gives the, the Ten Commandments. So what happened? They failed. And I mean, they did it right away. So very, the next thing, Moses goes up to the mountain uh, to kind of get further instructions from God on how things are going to work to, to receive the law. And while he's up there, they get a little impatient. Uh, he's been gone a long time. You know, maybe, maybe God killed him up there. You know, who knows what happens? And it says, obviously, we, we got to have a God that we can see to worship. We can't just trust this God up there. So what do they do? Well, they say, give me your earrings. Give me all the gold you have. Let's, let's make a God for ourselves. And it's, it's, they make what for themselves, their own God, the golden calf. And they begin to dance and sing and revelry and worship. Now, just like the surrounding nations. And so they begin to worship this golden calf that, that they see. And in a sense, oh, and here's the key line. It says, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Right? God had brought them out of the land of Egypt so they could be his representatives. And now they're pointing to this golden calf that they made and said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. In other words, they disqualified themselves from the very role God had intended for them. Moses comes down the mountain, not very happy. God's not happy. God actually was ready to wipe them off the, you know, take care of them. Moses says, no, God, don't do that. Moses intercedes. God withholds his judgment. And, and in set, so when Moses comes down, he looks for people loyal to the Lord. And it says the sons of Levi did not participate in this, this false worship. So they stayed faithful and they helped bring order. They actually, by killing the rever, some of the rever, rever, yeah, I can't say the word. Um, basically, they got things set again. And, and then now... God says to the, to the the Levites, you now are ordained for service to the Lord. Because they had stayed faithful, 
they had guarded the holiness of God's name and the integrity of God, God would appoint them to be the ones who would be in that specific role. So the nation as a whole, in a sense, couldn't do it as God had originally expressed. And now it would be the Levites. And so God institutes, you could say this is plan B, but of course God knew what would happen. So he knew it all along, but he put the Levites as guards. So Numbers 18, and uh, let me read what it says. It says, behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord to do the service of the tent of meeting. And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that all that is within the veil, and you shall serve. And so this is speaking to Aaron, who is a Levite. Aaron would be the high priest, and his sons would take over from him. It would then be a Levitical uh, or a hereditary office. It's called the Levitical priesthood through Aaron. And they would serve the the tabernacle and then what would later be the temple. They would serve the, the tent of meeting where God would do. They would take care of the holy things and guard its integrity. So this is different in a sense than what they had started with. If, if you'd ask, well, was this whole idea that them being a kingdom of priests hypothetical, was that ever in action? Well, it was. Because when they brought, came out of Egypt, if you know the story there, what was the final thing that God had them do? It was the final plague that saved them from Egypt was the death of the firstborn sons. So God gave them a thing to do to protect themselves from that, and that would be sacrificing the Passover lamb. And that would not be done by one special priest. Every family was, was to sacrifice their own lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. So you see what a kingdom of priests might have looked like, that kind of sacrifice. But now the sacrifices would be done by the, the Levitical priesthood. The sons of Aaron would be the ones in charge. And so, okay, how would this work? Well, it would also fail almost right away. Nadab and Abihu, two of Aaron's sons, we don't really know quite what happened, what they did. It says they they offered to the Lord unauthorized fire. They were disobeying the way they were supposed to do the offerings, and they were literally playing with fire, and the fire, it says, burned them up, consumed them. So they were consumed by fire. So that didn't go well. Uh, Good thing Aaron had two more sons. And I can guarantee you they would be far more careful about making their offerings to to the Lord. You know, all right, we better not uh, go off script at all in their, their work. So it would continue on. But in this hereditary office, you see the problem, right? What hereditary means it would be passed on from father to son. What happens if the sons were not good priests? And being a priest, you would have to learn the skills. There'd be a knowledge basis of it. But even more than that, it would require a spiritual mindset and an ethical focus. And so often, the priests would not live up to that. So jumping ahead to 1 Samuel 2, it says the sons of Eli says, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Eli was the priest. And it says, they were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And it, it says that their sin was so great. It says, they, 
they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. People would come and bring their offering, and it was supposed to, to portion was supposed to go to the Lord, a portion the priest was to keep, and then the portion would be for the person making the offering. They would take whatever they wanted rather than giving the rightful due to the Lord. They treated it with contempt. It also says they slept with the women who served at the temple. So they were, they were not doing the thing. They were not guarding the integrity of God's holiness and God's temple. And so they were disqualified from serving as priests. So God provided another. So Eli would instead pass the priesthood on to an adopted son, Samuel, who became a great priest, but then his sons also fell short. It says the sons did not walk in the ways of their father. They turned aside for gain, and they took bribes and perverted justice. They were so bad, the people said, please do not hand off the, the next thing to, to your sons. And it says, instead, we want a king. It says, we know all the other nations have kings. We want a king. We don't want your sons to be our leader, our spiritual leaders. And so you ended up actually with another hereditary office, the office of king, another one that would be passed from father to son, and it would end up having the same problems. You might have a good king here and there, but oftentimes the, the corruption would, would keep coming back. Let me talk for a minute about our side question. Why were only men priests? Why, why was that saying? Let me offer two reasons. One is because this was given as a hereditary office. So you think about it, as a kingdom of priests, it would be the community, men and women together, that would function in that role. But when it was made a hereditary office, it would be passed from father to son. That is just how the inheritance worked in the ancient world, especially because inheritance was often dealt with property and farmland. And so that's the way they saw inheritance. You know, the, the daughters would not inherit. They would they would marry and join another family. So the heredity would pass from father to son. So that's one reason why I believe it was only men in the Levitical priesthood. The other was that amongst the other nations, they did have women priestesses. It often ended up with goddess worship that had to do with fertility cults. And you ended up in the other nations, temple prostitution. And I think God wanted to avoid any connection for his people with that direction. So I, I, I would offer those two reasons of why the Levitical priesthood was only for men. And the same is true for the kings of Israel. They were only men. Just to note, there are other kinds of roles of leadership. So not everything was hereditary. There's also the charismatic, which means it's a gifting of the spirit. And so the best example of that is prophets. You were a prophet if the Holy Spirit, God, the Spirit of God came upon you, and then you could speak the word of God. And we do know there were women prophets. So a charismatic gifting, um, a charismatic office could be men or women because it had to do with empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Moses' sister Miriam was a prophetess, a woman prophet. All right, so what we would see is God gave a, this Levitical priesthood that, that would, would utterly fail. 
And in fact, their final, the, not the final, the ultimate failure was in, in holding the integrity of the temple as a worship place for the Lord alone, for the Lord God alone. Ezekiel 8 describes how they ended up worshiping. There were drawings of idols, drawings of things and idols. And the, the, it says the 70 leaders of Israel were in the temple in, in this Ezekiel 8 vision. They were worshiping idols. And then it says another group. It says they, they were in the temple. They had their backs to the temple, and they, but they were looking at the sun and they were worshiping the sun. Another kind of foreign worship that had worked its way into the very place dedicated to the Lord God. The very thing they were commanded not to do, to protect it from. And so the, 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 leader, the spiritual leaders, the, the priests had failed in their, their duty and what they were called to do. Just as, for that matter, Adam and Eve had failed in Eden to guard Eden from the, the evil from within. So we have it again, the failure of sinful man. You would see the final failure in the words of the high priest. So the temple was rebuilt, and a new priesthood was, was restarted later, and it was operating by the time of Jesus. But now the high priests were appointed by Rome. And the Rome-appointed high priest serving in the Jerusalem temple was Caiaphas. And the priests brought before them, or were investigating Jesus, and all the priests and the leaders were very concerned about this, this teacher who was, was doing amazing things amongst the people, but they were concerned. And they were trying to decide what to do. And so Caiaphas who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation would perish. Caiaphas was worried that Jesus would upset things and Rome would, would be a problem. They would bring Rome, the Roman armies down upon them. But notice in his his ignorance, he actually spoke true prophecy. It is better for you that one man would die for the nation. You see, Jesus was the son of God. He, he was sent by God to be the true high priest that we needed, where, where man had utterly failed. No one was worthy who could live up to and be the priest that we needed that would reconnect us to the Father, God instead gave us Christ, his only son, and he would be that man. Where it says the, the high priest in, in Hebrews 2, it talks about how, or, or Hebrews 7, it talks about the, the, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, and how that. The truth is, is every, every priest had to offer sacrifices for his own sins. They really couldn't make us right with God because they were dealing with their own stuff first. And they all fall short, fell short. And so we needed one who did not have the baggage of sin. One who was already perfect, 
before God. And so Jesus crossed the divide. He, the Son of God, who had been with the Father, who had never sinned or done anything wrong, he crossed the divide, became one of us. So the three things, he had to be perfect, not without sin of his own. The second thing is he had to be one of us. That's where Hebrews 2 talks about he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. You see, so it's, that's talking about how he had to become fully human. Though he was God, though he himself was in the very nature of God, he became fully human so that he could be like his brothers, so he could make this offering, so he could be our high priest. And then the third thing it required is to make propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is one of those great religious words. It just means to do a sacrifice of atonement. He would atone for our sins. He would make right for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And he did that by taking the sins of us, of all peoples, upon himself on the cross. That's how he made propitiation. And in that way, he was both the high priest making the sacrifice, and he himself was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. When he went to the cross, he was serving all those roles that all those priests before could never actually could never actually make work. When I, I think about it, I, I did something idiotic um, not too long ago. I was in a hurry. Actually, I was heading to that bike trip thing I did back in the summer. And so I was backing out with my van, and I hit my own car. It's like a double thing, right? You, you both uh, do two vehicles in one. And, but I was in a hurry because actually it was the, the day of the tour. So I really quickly took duct tape. I meant to bring a roll of duct tape, to, you know, but I had to take duct tape, tape back on my bumper and all that stuff. I mean, it wasn't off, but it was kind of askew and kind of taped it all back together to make do and then drove off to go on this trip that I, I did. And so for, for five weeks, my van was duct taped together. And, you know, for some reason, I buy different colored duct tape every time I go. So it was a little bit of gray, but it was also bright pink red, and then some yellow got in there, and very visible. Uh, and I had to kept redoing it because it would, it would fall off. And so even a couple times on that trip, I'd, all right, let's reduct tape the van back together and, until I can get the insurance and go through all the thing. So finally, it got fixed for real, right? I, the Levitical priesthood was like the duct tape, right? It was the temporary fix to get us by. God gave that to us, and it, it served for its time in that sense. It did have a purpose, but God was always looking for the real fix. And now, it was so great when I brought it home from, from Gerber's. They, they not only, like, fixed it, they washed the van. Like, it never looked so good, you know. So, but anyways, um, but that's the thing. What, what Christ could do, what no human leader could do. That's the whole thing. I tell the story for that whole thing. Every, every priest, in a sense, was limited. They were prone to weakness. But now Christ could do, in Christ, Ephesians 2, it says, you who once were far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And that through him, we both, and that's talking about how people, Jews and Gentiles, both have access in one spirit to the Father. He could 
do that ultimate work of a priest and reconnect us to God the Father. All human leaders, all human spiritual leaders included, all fall short in some way. Have you ever, in a sense, experienced that? Uh, Maybe a a pastor or a a church leader or someone that, that fell short in some way and did not really live up to the, the calling of them, and maybe it affected your faith. I see so many people who have walked away from Christianity because they've experienced bad church leadership of different forms. And I, I say this in all humility, friends. I know, I look back in my ministry, I'm sure there are people who I've disappointed, who I have failed in some way in, in what, I, what I've done. And I know just, you know, we, it says, Paul says, we have this ministry by the grace of God. And so I'm, that's what I want to think about is how, in a sense, all spiritual leaders can't do what Christ can do. Only Christ can reconnect us to God. And I, I want to think about, well, one of the reasons why I did this, this sermon series that we're talking about men and women. I realize we really haven't talked a lot about that aspect of it, but this is connected. It was a documentary I saw this summer. I was already thinking about doing this series, but when I saw this documentary, it pointed me to the need for doing it. And I'm curious, who ever watched when it was a TV show, The Duggars, like 17 and counting or 19 and counting? Okay, a handful of you. All right, so... Maybe you have not watched them. Are you familiar with the Duggars? Like, do you kind of know? Because I'm not a reality TV guy, and I actually really tend to not like reality TV, which since we're in a writer's strike, we're going to get a lot more reality TV, just so you know. Um, so I had barely heard of the show. I'd kind of familiar with it. I'd heard of it offhand. I knew they had a ton of kids, which was the point of their TV show, and that they were homeschooled. They were very conservative. I knew they kind of had a Christian aspect to them. Um, and then I remember hearing about some scandal or another. But truthfully, I couldn't have told you the details of any of that. And then this summer, this documentary came out called Shiny Happy People. And it, it struck me. If you haven't seen it, I'm not necessarily recommending you watch it. it but it, is, it was kind of one of those, Wow. This, this, there's a lot to the story. My first reaction as I watched it was, is this just another hit job by the secular media that wants to make Christianity look bad? Because I'll tell you, Christianity kind of looks bad if you watch this. And it, it's another attempt to highlight the hypocrisy of some group of believers that have some odd beliefs. So yes, there's some of that in there. Um, These are conservative Christians who have lots of rules. They're highly structured. The highly structured gender roles, they wear quaint looking clothing. They have all these rules for their kids, the, the, the homeschooling. And of course, then there's a scandal that undermines everything. That's not what caught my attention. And that's not why I'm talking about it, because that's going to happen. What caught my attention was not just the story of the family, it was the teaching that undergirded their whole thing. 
And that's what I feel like I, I really want to and need to address. See, the, uh, the Duggars actually were part of what's uh, the Institute of Biblical Life Principles, who was taught by Bill Gothard. And they did the show, it says, in order to promote the teaching of Bill Gothard and the, the IBLP, it's called. When I started the series two weeks ago, I, I put up this verse, Genesis 3.16. It's part of the, the curse of sin, where God says to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I made the statement then that that is descriptive, not proscriptive. That it's not saying what God wants. God is describing how it will be because of sin. That because of sin, men will use their greater strength to rule over women. That it is, and nowhere in the Bible does it tell men to, to rule over their wives, husbands to rule over their wives. Instead, it says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Yes, it does tell women, trust and follow the leadership of your husbands. Don't work against them. But it doesn't tell men to rule over them. Well, I looked up more about the IBLP, and it says declaratively, and you can't read it at all in, in that statement, but it says in their, their thing, men are commanded to rule over their wives. It teaches Genesis 3.16, not as descriptive, but it is the command of God given to men. And there are a whole bunch of implications they have in their document um, that, that goes with that, that women shouldn't work outside of the home. Uh, women should be financially dependent upon their husbands. One of the things that caught my attention, they shouldn't seek outside counsel or advice without her husband's permission, including from friends or church, church leaders, right? You shouldn't go and seek advice from someone unless you get your husband's permission to do so. There's, it's basically places the woman in a position of underneath the husband. Now, I told you my first reaction is this is a hit job, but the second reaction I had, is this just some small, isolated group that we really should just write off because they're not really influential? Well, the other thing that happened when this came out is there was a particular picture that came up on my Facebook screen. Maybe you've seen, maybe you saw it, the, the umbrella, where it has Christ, underneath him is the husband, and then the wife, and so that's that, that picture. I saw that come up on my feed, and I saw a reaction by all kinds of friends of mine, um, some non-believers, but also some Christians. And they talked about that picture and how it, 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 it was something they were taught as a young person. And so I reached out specifically to one of the young moms who had been in my ministry when I was doing Young Life, but she had, she had a different church, but she was, I, I got to know her. Later on, she, she got involved in helping with Young Lives. She worked with my wife in that. So I, I kind of knew her fairly well, and I reached out and said, tell, tell me what this means to you. Tell me what you were taught. Were you taught this stuff in your younger years? And so she said, yes, so she had never went to any IBLP things. This was what her church taught. And here's the five things she said that, that basically she took away, away from this teaching. She says, women cannot be trusted with spiritual truth. After all, Eve was deceived. 
Only men can be trusted. Women are the weaker vessels. He says they use that phrase a lot, weaker vessels. So they need to be under the authority of a man, husband or a father. She said women's domain is in the kitchen. Everything else belongs to the men. Fourth, she said girls are taught that their job, their main job, is to grow up and become a good wife. That's the only thing that really they should do. And then last, she says, women are taught that they relate to Christ through their husband. And that's where this picture comes in. Now, in one way, you can look at this picture and say, yes, a husband wants to protect his wife and family and kids and wants to do right. But this is saying more than that. This, it doesn't use the word, but it's effectively saying the husband is the priest of his wife and family. The husband is in between Christ and his wife. And that that is what, that, that's what I want to address. That's what the, the sermon series, the idea of no priest could connect us to God except the one whom God alone had sent. And I want to think about where are they getting the Bible wrong? You know, it's not just about the quaint little stuff that they do. I think there's wrong theology, and they miss some key truths. Um, And so I want to contrast what I would call gospel-centered Christianity with what really is law-based or legalistic uh, Christian religion that you you see in different places, but you find in, in the IBLP. And I would say they miss four things. I'm going to put them together. And one is they miss the reality of, of our sinful nature and the radical corruption of sin in the human heart. So it, is, it, it misses the, the idea that they, they try to create this legal framework, right? If you just get the right set of rules, if you just get the right authority structure, then, well, then, then you'll be blessed of God. Then you'll be on the right track. But it misses the thing. It, it sees the problem as purely out there. You know, you got to avoid the danger of the corruption of the world, the sin in the world. But when you look at the Bible, you see the danger's inside, right? The stranger is inside the house. The danger is in our heart. Jesus talked about how, you know, you, you worry about, a lot about what the food you, you eat, you take into your mouth. You know what the real danger is, Jesus says? It's what comes out of your mouth in your words, which reveals the corruption and the sin in your heart, the greed, the lust, the envy, all that stuff. The danger is within us, the, uh, inside. And so there's a, the sin had radically corrupted, affected who we are. Let me give you a quote from R.C. Sproul, and he's a Reformed uh, Bible teacher, and, and it talks about this idea of the radical corruption that is involved inside and how we have to account for that. It says it means that the fall of man was so serious that it affects the whole person. The the fallenness that captures and grips our human nature affects our bodies. That's why we become ill and die. It affects our minds and our thinking. We still have the capacity to think, but the Bible says the mind has become darkened and weakened. The will of man is no longer in its pristine state of moral power. 
The will, according to the New Testament, is now in bondage. We are enslaved to the evil impulses and desires of our hearts. The body and the mind, the will, the spirit, indeed the whole person have been infected by the power of sin. You see, the law cannot save. No legal framework, no set of rules is going to fix the problem because the problem's within our heart. So they miss the, the, this, the reach and, or the reality of, of sin and the radical corruption of our sinful, sinful inside. They also miss the other thing, the reach of the gospel and the power of the gospel. You see, Jesus came to set us free, to reconnect us with God. And so the reach of the gospel, the gospel includes uh, women and men. It talks about in, in Romans 1.16, the uh, the power of, of the gospel um, is good news for salvation for all peoples. And that emphasizes the, you know, all nations, tribes, but that also includes all men and women. The whole Bible, the scriptural promises we have are not just written to men. It's written to men and women. And so they miss that part. And so they miss that the reach of the gospel includes uh, everybody, includes those who receive Jesus Christ in their life. And so only Christ can bring us into the, the presence of God. A husband cannot do that for his wife. Neither can a wife do that for her husband. We each need Christ to be our high priest. And it misses the power of the gospel that sets us free, that comes into our life, and it says the good news of what Jesus has done has set us free. Galatians 5, 1 says, you have been set free. Do not allow yourself to be put back into slavery. That was written to men and women. So I could, I, w- I need to wind up, but um, I want to let you know that my friend who had encountered this and realized, like, the teaching that she had been raised in, Later, her and her husband, and she, she's married, she has kids, um, she, you know, they, they realized, for a different reason, actually, they left that church and they went to another one, where now they're raising their kids. She, she's stayed with the Lord, right? She, she realized she maybe was, had engaged in some false teaching and stuff, but she did not give up on Jesus Christ. There's a sense of all human leaders can fail, Right? But we, we need Jesus Christ. We don't give up on him. So maybe you have experienced in some way lousy, broken Christian leaders, Christian leadership, spiritual leadership in your life. Maybe you've been affected by the failure of religious leaders. Cling to Christ. Turn to him. He alone can, can set us right and bring us into God. I just want to kind of close briefly by by this great picture we have in Revelation, and it's a picture of the scroll, which represents God's salvation. What, what Christ would do was the, this picture of the seven-sealed scroll, and it says, uh, John, who sees this, says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. You see what it's saying? It's saying the same thing that we just looked at, right? Every human leader would fail, would fall short. No one is worthy. No one could do it. Oh, let's weep. We can't be saved. The next verse says, weep no more. And so as the, the 
worship team comes up, weep no more. Why weep no more? Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has conquered what no human leader, no human priest could do. He did. He can open the scroll because he's won the victory and he did it as the the lamb, as the one who gave his life. He alone would die for our sins so that we could be in this right relationship with God the Father. Let's worship. Let's sing our hearts out to the lion and the lamb.